previously on Texas Twiggy. We're sitting around the house and she's making bagels, cream cheese, and strawberry jelly. I know that because it was the first one I ever had. And I thought, what the fuck is this? It wasn't a donut or anything like that. It was a bagel. And I had never had a bagel before, you know, a hard bagel. Good morning from Blanco. Today is a Blanco day. I'm going around to local businesses and asking them about Shelly. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to like get to know the town and stuff. Everyone, and I mean everyone, has a Shelly story. Store owners, cashiers, waiters, authorities, every single Blanco resident I talked to not only knew Shelly, but had spoken with her. The stories were heartfelt and heartening, sometimes bittersweet, and sometimes just really, really sad. So she drives all over town. Everybody kind of knows who she is, and we all do what we can to get her what she wants or what she needs, and that's just kind of how it goes. She's very nice. Welcome to the last episode of Texas Twiggy, a podcast about Shelley Duvall. I'm Emma Lehman, a longtime Shelley admirer and the producer and narrator of this podcast. Today on the show, more phone calls, Stuart Duvall, and the mystery of Shelley's disappearance is solved. If you haven't listened to episodes 1 through 10, wait, go do that now. It will explain some important things that will help you understand this episode. I have always been inclined to find a smoking gun. I want a nice, neat answer. An aha moment, a conclusive piece of damning evidence, the killer's full print on the scene. As I scoured through incorporation documents for Shelley's companies and forfeiture records for the same, I hoped for that one clause, that fabled piece of proof that Shelley was robbed or cheated one last time in a manner so devastating that she had to retreat from the industry. But you can't always tie things up in a neat little bow. We'll start with Stuart. Stuart, unlike Shane, was involved in Shelley's productions himself and even moved out to Hollywood to join her, which is how he ended up in her house that day, eating his first bagel. In the 80s and 90s, when Shelley began to produce her own shows, Stu followed her to L.A., both appearing on screen and helping in production. They were a spry, lean team of two, sparing expenses where they could so that they could put as much money as they had into Shelley's dream. Stu fondly recalls picking up big-name celebrities from LAX to take them to set. We couldn't afford limousines, so Shelly had me and my little two-door 325i go pick up all the stars at the airport and bring them to the set. Oh, I love that. So, like, I had to go pick up Lauren Hutton at the airport and everything. Lauren Hutton's gorgeous, you know, and everything. And uh, then I had to pick up I had to pick up Mick Jagger every day over at his hotel in Beverly Hills and my little 325i BMW and take him to the set over there at ABC Studios. <laughs> They were a small outfit with a minuscule budget and big dreams. Stuart, who is an excellent storyteller, regales me in tales of their heyday. In just a bit over their head, but swimming just fine, pulling the biggest names in Hollywood for brand new and relatively low-budget children's productions. 
When I ask what made him want to follow Shelley into the industry, he replies, Shelley, you know, got discovered and we're 10 years apart. Mm -hmm. And Shelley got discovered when I was pretty young. And uh, I was like 10 or 11 or something like that. They're 10 years apart, Stu and Shelley. So her departure from the dyed-in-the-wool Texas family to the City of Angels happened when Stu wasn't yet a teenager. You know, it, it seems like every sibling in every family, everyone does something a little different. You know, every sibling is this or that and everything. And I kind of had the very gregarious, you know, acting out kind of attitude and, and, and stuff. So Stuart, the most rambunctious of the Duvals by his own admission, began to visit Shelley in California as a young teenager. I started visiting Shelley out uh, in California when uh, I was about 14, 15 years old. And I was just amazed at just, it was a wonderful place and everybody was just so free spirited and we're into film and talking about this and that and art. And I was just blown away and uh, got hooked. And so I visited her every summer, every year for about a month or so while I was in high school. It's funny, I think, as he tells me this story. I get it. I also visited California in the summers as a 14 to 15 year old, and I was also so drawn to it that I ended up here. Pretty close, actually, to Studio City. Well, uh, she was living in Studio, she had a place in Studio City. And uh, she was finishing up Popeye. And she said, well, you gotta go to the airport and pick up my dog. And I went, what? What freaking dog? You know, I mean, because I was already at her place in Beverly Hills and and taking care of a dog and a cat. She found a dog over there in Malta and had it shipped to the United States. And she named it Jeep after, you know, the dog in the Popeye cartoons. Man, that dog was wild. But uh, anyway, I had to go down to the airport, pick that up for her and everything. So when she got home that summer, uh, you know, the dog was there. Yeah, so I'm, then I officially caught the acting bug and I moved out to California in 82. Stu took the same drive I would end up taking months later, 20 hours, give or take, on the I-10 from Texas to sunny Los Angeles. I drove out there and I got there the very last day they were finishing shooting on the very first episode of Fairy Tale Theater. Uh, the Frog Prince, and they're at this tiny studio over off Santa Monica. But yeah, I, I got my own place, and I started, uh, you know, going to acting classes, that kind of thing. And uh, but eventually, you know, the business is very strange, very difficult, and it could take a long time, you know, to get into it. And and uh, finally, she says, "Look, why don't you just come come work for me behind the camera, you know, learn some stuff, do all of this and whatever, and then you can always have those skills or get back into acting." Well, so I just started working at Fairy Tale Theater with Shelley. Uh, you know, as a grunt, as a PA, you know, and uh, and that was pretty exciting. So we were there all the time and um, uh, together for that, and, uh, Nightmare Classics and uh, all of those episodes. So there was 26 fairy tales, nine Nightmare Classics. So, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with Shelley and, uh, you know, in production and stuff. And uh, it was very interesting, very cool. It was a very wild time. Stu and Shelley's wild times in the 80s and 90s helped build her two main production companies, Think Entertainment and Platypus Productions. In 1988, she told the New York Times, I want to provide an opportunity for people who are talented to get out of their pigeonholes, to do something they wouldn't do ordinarily. I called the company Think Entertainment because I like the double meaning of entertainment that has a mind to it. 
entertainment that's informative. This was another theme of Shelley's work. It, like Shelley herself, was smart. She appeared on the children's science program Newton's Apple around this time in an episode explaining the science behind mirrors. Angle of reflection. It's just like mm, bouncing a ball. Throw it straight, it bounces straight back. Throw it at an angle. Whoa! Look out! Yikes! Everybody duck! Is it safe? And she injected her programs, Tall Tales and Legends, and Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme, with clever and witty smarts that separated them from the herd. Trying to stay fit, healthy, and most of all, young is a national obsession. It seems the only people not crazed about staying young are the young. This seems pretty silly to you kids, but once you grow up, you'll want to stay young too. It's been going on for centuries. As a matter of fact, over 400 years ago, a famous explorer went searching for eternal youth and ended up discovering a part of America. His name was Ponce de Leon, and his quest is tonight's tale, the search for the fountain of youth. Her vision was unique, and together, she and Stu and a healthy handful of production companies and celebrity actors made it happen. I didn't go so far as to show Stu my crazy production company flowchart, which details what Shelley owned when and who bought what and what was forfeited. But I referred to it as he spoke tracking her companies from their births to their untimely deaths. Yeah. And how many production companies did she own? Because from my research, there's a solid handful. Well, her, her, fa- her biggest one, her favorite one, was Think Entertainment. And, uh, you know, which had the cool logo by Renee Magritte, you know, and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the hat, you know, with the skyline behind it and all that. And that was a big deal to get that. And, um, but that, uh, that's, she did several because she started doing those uh, smaller movies like Frogs mm-hmm. and things like that with different producers and things. So she did the production company solely for that reason. But, uh, yeah, the big cheese was Think Entertainment and Platypus Productions. Yeah. Yeah. That was her other little, that was her other little jewel. She first founded Armadillo Productions, which eventually became Think Productions in 1986. And finally, Think Entertainment in 88. By 1991, Shelley had bought out all of Think's partners and was its sole owner. This was the company that produced Nightmare Classics, Nick Jr. Rocks, Stories from Growing Up, Bedtime Stories, and its last production in 1994, Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Shelley changed its name to Armadillo Productions, because, of course. In 1993, the deal she made with MCA Entertainment had expired and a British company called Enchante bought half of Think. Then, 1997, Franchise Tax Board suspension. Platypus Productions, which she also fully owned simultaneously with Think, was Shelley's company for TV productions, like Fairytale Theater. 1993, Franchise Tax Board suspension. I'm following these lines on my chart with my finger as Stu talks. And finally, I blurred out, So, what happened? Stu seems a little confused. It's the same reaction I got from Shane. A look that told me maybe what happened wasn't the right question to ask. Maybe it was more of a why. In a roundabout answer to my poorly phrased question, 
Stu told me of a few contracts gone wrong, how Shelley loved the creative side of the business but just couldn't hack the legal and financial stuff. She was just interested in producing, in making her dreams become reality. In making magic. A bit idealistic, perhaps, but then again, she hadn't signed up for any of this. Um, you know, uh, she just hated all that contract talk and all of that stuff. She hated that business end of it. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the reasons she just got tired of all of that. That's why she just wanted to get out of it. And then, you know, of course, the earthquakes and stuff the, and all that jazz and the madness of L.A. And because uh, she lived in Studio City, up top Studio City, and her house was damaged several times. You know, she's just doing her thing, you know, just kicking back and living that kind of life, you know, and that's what she's all about right now. So, you know, she's very she's a quiet person. She's a secretive person. She's been burned by people in the past, you know. And we've seen idiotic things, you know, out there. And, and the public has seen some things, too, you know, that really pissed off a lot of people she knew. But uh, Shelly's a very private, private person. She trusts people easily, you know. Yeah. But... Shane told me about the Northridge earthquake in 1994, which wrought havoc on her California home and offices, causing a tree to nearly crush her in her sleep. She had an earthquake at her home. You know, that big earthquake they had out there in California. I know they had more than one, but it, like, split her house. Oh and, and she told me, she said, you know, Shane, she said, I'm done. She goes, I've lived here, you know, mm-hmm. over 20 years, you know. And she'd probably been out there 25 years. And she goes, I'm just done. She goes, that's the last earthquake I want to go through. Yeah. Because they scared her to death, you know. And and she had a big bookshelf along her bedroom wall. And she she was actually sleeping on the other side of the bed from where she normally slept. And during the earthquake, the, the bookshelf fell and crushed her bed where she normally would have been sleeping. Oh, my God. And she goes, I'm, I'm just done, Shane. She says, I'm moving back to Texas where there's no earthquakes. So no one single thing happened. There is no smoking gun. Shelley was just done. After being thrust into an unknown industry, after 20 years making that industry not only familiar, but an instrument through which she made her imaginings reality, after being burned one too many times by a tabloid calling her an airhead or buck-toothed or scrawny, Shelley decided... Finally, she said, you know what? I'm going back to effing Texas. I'm going back to effing Texas. Wow, it's gorgeous out. What a beautiful day to subscribe, rate, and review Texas Twiggy on your favorite podcasting platform. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Radio Public. Wherever you're listening, it helps out a lot if you follow, subscribe, review, rate, and comment on the show. Texas Twiggy wouldn't be what it is without you. She's going back to effing Texas. And she did. Packed up the animals and bought a ranch house in a tiny lavender town three hours from her childhood. We will end where we began. 
in a booth at a cafe a couple miles from Shane Duval's house. I'm eating a chicken melt, Shane a chicken salad sandwich. I think she just, you know, with the earthquake, it upset her. And I think her office got hit too, as well. It destroyed a lot of stuff at her office. And I think she just lost touch. I don't know if the people that were working with her, you know, I don't know. I just don't know what happened. Really. Does she, I imagine she doesn't like to talk about it. Yeah, and, you know, not that I never pried into the wines, you know, on that stuff. And, you know, she moved back here and bought a ranch here. A pecan orchard, an aviary, dam, some dogs, a couple cats, a white pickup truck, and a head full of multicolored scrunchies, a town that protects her after years of living in the city that mocked her at every turn. The occasional emotional outburst at a Dairy Queen. Shelley was living her best life. And I decided, finally, that I was finished. While I was in Blanco, I stopped one day at the end of Shelley's long, rocky driveway. I stood next to the mailboxes, walking back and forth, contemplating walking up the protracted hill to what would be Shelley's house, which I couldn't quite see. Contemplating taking out my phone and calling her one last time. Because I had to talk to the woman herself, right? Right? And then, standing on Shelley Duvall's driveway, recording myself walking in small circles on the parched dirt, I realized... Nope. Like I said in the first episode, I started out having never done anything more than a Google search on Shelley and ended up in her brother's car in front of her childhood home. That, for me, is more than enough. I know now the answer, or answers, to the mystery. I've put now what Shelley has done out into the world. Those are my goals. And if Texas Twiggy can accomplish those goals without having to bother Shelley, living her best life in her Blanco paradise, then hell, that's a win in my book. If this tribute to Shelley Duvall can generate an appreciation for her work and her reach and her influence, then I've done what I set out to do. And it's with this sentiment that I bring you this. Shelley's mark. The effects that she and her work have had on people from all walks of life, from people who are raised with her programming, to her friends, to her family, to my Shelley Tattooed Research Consultant. I'm Sarah, the account owner of Shelley Duvall XO on Instagram, and Shelley is a big inspiration in my life. And I'm so glad I became a fan of hers five years ago when I was only 16 just by watching The Shining for the very first time. So who would have thought my obsession and devotion to her would turn out like it is today? Um, but she's such a kind and sweet soul, and you can see that energy radiating on and off screen. 
her lovely personality and even her fashion from the 70s and 80s is something I try to copy in my everyday life. I've had a rough last few weeks of my own personal life, but the moment I come home from school and work, I know I can count on watching a movie or show Shelly's to make me feel better and to make me smile again. So thank you Shelly so much for being a big presence in my life, even if you don't know it and for making me feel happy. The first time I met Shelly, I was fascinated by her kindness and curiosity. She was humbly asking me all sorts of questions about Canada, where I'm from, and I was learning as much as I was sharing. Perhaps this is the reason why she is a storyteller with an encyclopedic memory. There is a fairy quality to Shelly, something otherworldly that I still can't quite comprehend. On the silver screen, she always delivers a raw performance that seems to unravel a layer of her soul, yet remains an hypnotic mystery. It is truly challenging to put into word my love for this woman. Shelley Duvall was awesome in Popeye. She was such a beautiful and talented actress. Bless her and you for resurrecting her awesomeness. My 22-year-old daughter revisited fairy tale theater episodes with her childhood friend this weekend. So happy Shelley produced such charming, wholesome fare back in the day. She's brilliant, yeah. And so that's exciting to see her light up about her accomplishments and projects. I feel like I have to keep reminding her how special she is. And so that's a fun job to have, but at times it's, like I said, it's heartbreaking sometimes. How do you not know that but also that's also part of her charm because she's not wrapped up in you know Hollywood and, and all of its trappings she never was she's just a fascinating woman and a genius and, and I can't believe that she's you know a friend now my hope always in, in any art that I create and any projects that I'm a part of is that I'm able to help people or influence people in a positive way that maybe like unexpectedly something that I've done can occur to someone that makes them feel good or have a different idea about something that's difficult for them. And she has so powerfully done that for so many people that I think that the, the celebration of her and the acknowledgement of the good that she's done is so important and I'm really happy to know that you're doing it because I'm sure she knows how impactful she's been, but it's important for people to continue to hear that and to continue to be reminded, like, you made a very, very important positive effect on my life. And you showed me things that at the time I wasn't yet aware of my ability to bring into my life. So wherever it is that she is hopefully very happily right now, it's still worthwhile to say like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you are so powerful because people need to be told when we appreciate them. My name is Bruna and I am from Brazil. Where do I start? I have not known Shelly for a long time. I believe I got connected to her easily, so it was literally on Pinterest. I was scrolling down the page till I saw this eccentric girl. My eyes literally light up. I just say, I still don't know who she is, but I'm pretty sure she's like me. And then I found out that beautiful girl was Shelley Duvall. She's one of the most enlightened people I have ever seen, literally. 
cute, talented, kind-hearted, and simply captivation. At just six years old, I was an assiduous profile fan. I always told my mom that I wanted to be like Olive. I always say that when my hair got wet, it turned black like hers, and I literally felt like Olive after washing my hair. <laughs> oh my god. When Shelly is on the scene, you literally can take your eyes off her. It's like an exclamation point. Shelly and I never had contact. I had the opportunity to send her two letters. Everything that happened to her is really something that moves me out a lot. I really avoid talking about it, but I believe that good people should only have the best of this life. She did not deserve anything bad, and all the things they, that have happened during these years that have passed, she's too precious, and my heart really breaks that I can't do many things for her. All the ideas and projects she had are extremely sensational. She has a broad view of film and the art in general, and that's wonderful. I greatly admire the work she has done and look to her as an inspiration this year. I love seeing Shelly happy and I hope she stays that way. I hope she knows that in this whole huge world there are people who cherish and love her very much. As you can imagine, Shelly has taken up a lot of my brain space these past 10 months. Not a day has gone by in nearly a year that I haven't dedicated anywhere from 20 minutes to six hours to this podcast, whether it's researching, writing, traveling, interviewing, or transcribing. I graduated UCLA a few months ago, and the first thing I thought was, oh hell yeah, more Shelly time. My search for Shelly helped me overcome pretty severe travel anxiety, helped me prove to myself that I'm capable of producing something I'm proud of, and gave me an outlet for a newfound free time and a lot of passion. Through Texas Twiggy, I met new friends, reconnected with old ones, and broadened my world in many ways. So yeah, Shelly and her work mean a lot to me. She is my inspiration for this project and what I hope will be many more, the experiences I've had as a result of this project, and, however indirectly, Shelly herself will stay with me forever. So thank you, Shelly. You bring so many people joy, comfort, and inspiration. Your work is appreciated and revered not only by industry professionals, but everyday people the world over. We all wish you the very best. If you ever do want to meet for lunch, I can offer a blank check at Red Lobster and promise to try as hard as I can not to geek out. But if you don't, that's fine too. I just hope that you know how valuable you are, and will always be. Texas Twiggy was reported, narrated, and produced by me, Emma Lehman. Our music was created and mixed by Olivia Springberg. Our research consultant was Sarah Lukowski. Special thanks to Avery Erskine for transcribing interviews giving notes on endless drafts and proofreading scripts. 
Thanks to Joni and Ken Lehman for hotel money and route to Texas. Thanks to everyone who sent me audio of their script readings. Thanks to my boyfriend Ivan for pretending to understand my ramblings about the technicalities of podcast production and for being excited for my little Texas Twiggy victories, even when he had no idea what I was talking about. Thank you to all my patrons, Ken Lehman, Draven Alanis, Dana Edwards, Dwayne Lehman, Jen, Justine Springberg, Kelly Alasser, Liz Wheeler, Sharon, Xavier Hamill, Kathleen Axe, Kavid Dacity, Dan Travis, Holly, Sarah Elizabeth, and Sophia Pulido. I really hope you enjoyed Texas Twiggy. I sure enjoyed making it. If you did, please rate and review it on your podcast player and share with a friend. Or two friends, or maybe, if you're feeling generous, three friends. And consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Twiggy.